hoy. Welcome to Head Games, the science and psychology of sports. I'm Dr. Brett Levine, joined as always by Dr. Ben Rosenberg. Ben, how are you? I'm good, but I'm mostly concerned about your wet shirt. What is happening? I am not sweating. <laughs> I'm really nervous. I'm really, You're nervous. really nervous. <laughs> we do have a sick interview today, so you could be nervous about that, I guess. I know. No, I pulled it out of the washer and hopefully it'll dry before uh, the interview that we do have today, which is awesome. We are talking with Connor O'Neill. He's a Mets minor league pitcher, and he was uh, featured recently in an ESPN article about how minor league baseball players are adapting to COVID and finding work because yeah. the minor league baseball season got canceled. They aren't paying their players very much at all, so they're scrambling to find work, yeah. and their skill set is limited to baseball, and baseball isn't happening. So what do you do? How do you find yeah. work? Um, and I think the, he's a, I think he, he will be a great guest for just in general, yeah. but I think he's a good fit for today's episode, which is about grit, that, mm-hmm. um, that secret sauce of passion and perseverance. And I think you're going to talk about it in just a second. Indeed. Ahoy, ahoy. I want to get in real quickly and just um, touch on some news. We were talking last episode about the effect of not having fans for both the NHL and NBA playoffs and, and what that's going to mean. And to summarize the gist of it is that um, either, either traveling um, or not traveling, having home court or home ice advantage and or the presence of fans affects the score at the end of the game. And I don't think that's surprising to anybody. And in the NHL over the last six seasons, the difference is by 0.3 goals. Okay. Um, for every for every home game, and that's basically a small effect that we summarize that like it doesn't have much of an effect, but it is something. It's I think it's interesting. And for the NBA, um, I had calculated over the last six seasons it was like three point two five, but we had seen better, more qualified research than myself that said it was so. Right. Yeah, and so it might be closer to like three and a half, and that's missing. And and that's going to be interesting. I think we talked a little bit about this. We didn't get into it, but we said there's probably going to be some upsets. And the yeah. ringer goes into this a hell of a lot better than we did, but there might be some upsets that we might see because that higher seed does not have the advantage of more home games. And with more home games, you have more of the fan or the home court or the you know lack of travel mm-hmm. uh, in your favor. So just real quick, let's just, I just want to go back and look at some of the scores. First of all, uh, those flames that I was cheering for have been eliminated by the stars. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any the Canucks are the only Canadian team left I believe dang what um, happened to your maple leaves bro my maple leaves what happened to my sharks really um, so what's interesting just speaking of upsets over the last six seasons when you look at the seed differential from the first round being only three points so sorry uh, three seeds or less mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like the three versus the six is the is the biggest gap um, so closer teams teams that are more or less mm-hmm. closer um, there is 10 of 25 upsets. So 40% of the time, wow. those closer seeds upset. This season, thus far for the first round, looking at the four and the five, the three and the six, those are four, those are four different series. Mm-hmm. Two of those four were upsets. So technically, mm-hmm. it was higher this year. 50% of those seeds that were closer were upset. Huh. And we talk about that effect, that like small effect, and I don't know if it had much of an influence, but it is interesting yeah, that yeah. we see a higher percentage of upsets. 
in the yeah. first round without the without the presence of travel, without the presence of home ice, and without right. the presence of the fans there. You're you're basically at a chance, right? Now if you're if you're looking at fifty percent. If you're if taking, two teams removing are, those things out of the equation, it's a, it's a toss up. Who's going to win? Well, if two teams are equal, if two teams are equal, then it is. But right, we, we you know we were talking about this feeling of like collective efficacy last episode. The feeling of like we can yeah. do it, probably in large part because there's twenty thousand fans screaming for screaming you for you, yeah, that are no longer there, and so it yeah. does. It, it might neutralize maybe more than we had calculated. I don't know, yeah. but yeah. it's a small effect in hockey, and we're seeing more upsets it's going to be really interesting with the NBA because um, at three and a half points, it basically cooks out to a, a bigger chance of upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, there's very few upsets in the NBA. Like usually it's like the five over the yeah. four and it's maybe unlikely. Yeah. And like maybe yeah. the, the six over the three, I think there was like two six over three upsets in the last six seasons. And one of them yeah. might've been to the Raptors. Yikes. Um, Raps are good this year, though, man. Watch out. They look good. Yeah, Celtics Raptors um, might yeah. be might be the next. Uh, we don't know yet. The Raptors play the tonight. Raptor, it's, it will against be the, the uh, Raptors, against man. the Nets, but more or less Raptors it'll are going to wax the fucking floor with them. Probably, uh, yeah. probably be Raptors Celtics next round. Yeah. Um, but I, we might see some upsets nonetheless in NBA playoffs yeah. as well because of that that home that home court. I mean, look, I, I would look directly at the Clippers. Like I'm not a Clippers hater. I'm not a Lakers hater. I, I could really care less about either LA team. I do think it's kind of funny though, to see the Clippers like being this uh, in many people's mind, overwhelming favorite. They got Kawhi, they're stacked, so to speak. And now like they're tied two two with the Mavs who have lost one of their stars. And that is interesting because, at least in part, and granted this recent game, game four, would have been in Dallas if we're playing in kind of real times. So maybe you're not seeing the effect of fans exa- or lack of fans exactly, but the Clippers just look t- like they look tired, man. They don't look like they have really like any pep in their step. And that collective efficacy piece just seems to be missing for them. And, and that seemed to really play a role. Um, and that loss of that game, dude, they were up by 20 in that game and Mavs come back and Luca hits this crazy shot. So as speaking of upset, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. I don't think the Mavs are going to win the series, but um, even to see them taking a couple games, I think is a little bit surprising. I mean, we, we try to bake things down to like point differential and things like that, but there could be other things at play. You're right. Yeah. I think there's, there's other stuff that um, maybe is difficult to measure or understand, especially yeah. from a psychological you know, stance. Um, so that'll be cool. It'll be cool to see if there's upsets yeah. and upsets, you know, make things fun for sure. Let's get into grit. Um, because yeah. we have a great interview today. Um, do you want to give a little bit of background about what grit is yeah. and just a little, a, a brief history about it and, and kind of what we're talking about? Yeah. I mean, if you want to really, really, really go back with grit, uh, one of the founders of the field of psychology, William James talked about something like grit. He didn't call it grit, but in his seminal textbook in Jesus, 1903 or something. Um, he was talking about something like grit and it sort of laid dormant. I mean, people talk about all these different things that help folks succeed. And a lot of the research for many years centered around things like people's IQ or other kind of traits that people possess that allow them to be successful. And the paradigm was really shifted uh, 
by a psychologist named Angela Duckworth, who's really the most strongly associated with grit. Um, She's a professor at UPenn um, and she's received like a MacArthur Genius Grant and all this shit. I mean, she's like way more brilliant than we are. But anyway, she wrote a book in, I think, 2007? Does that sound right? Maybe it was more, no, it was more recent. The book was more recent. She wrote some articles about grit in the yep. mid-2000, mid, you know, 2005, 2007, whatever. Wrote a book in the last five years about grit. Basically, the idea is that, as you mentioned before, grit is this kind of pat, combination of passion and perseverance. And mm-hmm. it's really, and I'm just going to read a brief quote because I think she puts it really nicely. This is from an article by Duckworth and Gross, one of her collaborators. Mm-hmm. Grit is the tenacious pursuit of, of a dominant, superordinate goal despite setbacks. So in other wow. words, grit is all about people going after what they really want to get, goals that are really important to them particularly when they're faced with adversity. This is the ability to stick with it, even though things are trying to block you from getting to the goals that are important to you. And as you mentioned, man, I mean, this is going to be really relevant as we talk to Connor in a bit um, to hear about his story and some of the things I'm sure that he has to share with us about the perseverance that he's presumably had to, um, you yeah. had to exhibit in order yeah. to stay on this on this path and probably that a lot of minor league ballplayers have had to exhibit. Yep. I think just based on the definition of grit, you've probably described every single professional athlete's journey. For sure. I'm setting it a goal to be a professional athlete yeah. and the amount of perseverance that they'd have to sure. you know, um, endure to get there is For sure. um, probably a good study on grit as well as every championship team. Yeah. Like talk about a goal, like, you know, every team, every, you know, individual player yeah. as well. I want to win a championship. I want to, you know, I want yeah, to inscribe yeah. my name into, into my given sports history. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think grit touches, this is a, this is, again, this is a, um, a piece of human psychology and it touches all of us in some way about whatever yeah. anyone has a goal that they're going towards, but it really does seem to speak to sports, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it really, it really does. And I mean, what's, what's cool and what's interesting about the research on grit is that, it shows that grit is predictive of people being successful above and beyond all these other factors that typically you associate with success. Things like IQ or just raw, you know, talent or skill level. Mm-hmm. Grit predicts people's success beyond those things. And so it really does seem to be, you call it a, a secret sauce or special sauce. It really does seem to be something unique about grit and the ability to persevere towards superordinate or, or long-term goals that makes it really important. Yeah. It's also, and you mentioned, you know, William James. William James. James. I believe that, man. that's my name is William James. I'm the founder of psychology. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned like 1900, uh, yeah. which for a lot of other sciences is like really new. And I think yeah. grit especially speaks to the newness of psychology. Mm-hmm. Duckworth, I believe was doing this research around grit recently. And it's only recently that all of this cool stuff has come to light, meaning we can reliably and with some level of validity measure grit, possibly Mm -hmm. manipulate grit and understand it at a deeper level. So it's really new. And that's, I I mean, it speaks to the excitement of grit, but it also speaks to the excitement of psychology as a field as well, is that a lot of this stuff, a lot of the understanding about human psychology at an individual and a group level is still kind of unknown. And like, it, it's cool. I think it's cool. And I think that's like, in large part, why we're, we're sitting here talking to each other, no even doubt. though we're a hell of a lot dumber than Angela Duckworth talking about her, 
her topic or theory and um check her out man i mean if folks are interested she has some awesome well-watched ted talks and she's an engaging interesting speaker who has obviously you know found something that's really worthwhile to investigate and uh it's it's cool to see her talk about it she obviously she has a shitload of grit put it that way that there you go there you go Um, and you know who else has probably a shitload of good is our, our guest, Connor O'Neill. Let's, let's get to it. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with him. Our guest today is our new friend, Connor O'Neill. He's a pitcher in the Mets minor league organization and was featured recently in an ESPN article focusing on how minor league baseball players are coping with the canceled season and living on a below the poverty line salary. Connor, welcome to Head Games. Thank you for having me, you guys. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I um, appreciate it. We would, we would love to get into like the psychology of everything that's been going on and what you've been going through and, and how other minor leaguers are adapting to this, this new environment. Um, but before we get started, given that you're a Mets minor leaguer, how often do you get asked about Tim Tebow? Oh, <laughs> I mean, every time I do an interview actually is like, that's definitely one of the questions. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've, uh, he was actually my bus mate whenever we would go, because uh, we're in Port St. Lucie, so we would go down to West Palm um, all the time for, for spring training games, mm-hmm. um, when, whenever he got uh, sent down from the big league side. Uh, so yeah, he was my bus mate last spring training, and, and he's a good dude, you know, he sweats a lot. Um, sweats a lot. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's, got a, he's got an Adidas deal, so he's got about four, four boxes of shoes every day. Jesus, dude. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty unreal, but he's a good guy. I think uh, I think he gets made fun of a little bit on uh, online, but um, yeah, yeah, he's you know he's he's a good-hearted person and, and he's he's nice. nice. I mean, obviously, in hell of a hell of an athlete, right? If he can pl- be yeah that good of a quarterback, make it to the NFL, he was arguably a good quarterback in the NFL. But that's I can't you know who am I to say that? Yeah. And then to even be uh, playing in the minor leagues at all, playing professional baseball at all, like that's. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, he's he's, uh, he's a freak athlete. Um, yeah. There's no way around that. We have this. Um, you guys know like the beep test from high school. Oh, I remember the beep test. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, but we like the Mets. We do one, uh, or at least we did one last year. Um, and so all all the guys that scored the highest on it were usually like the you know 17 year old Dominican shortstops that are just crazy good at endurance running for whatever reason. Um, and, and then Tim Tebow, so uh, who's like, oh, wow. you know, 230 pounds of, of yeah. man. So, um, yeah, he's he's pretty impressive to watch do just about anything not hitting. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for the background on Tim Tebow, but you're the focus <laughs> today. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, how did you get to where you are now? Um, so I grew up in Washington state, actually born and raised, um, walked on at a junior college in Arizona. Um, didn't have any offers from, oh, I did, I did get an offer from West Point from West Point. Um, but they said that was based on character. So I didn't really know how to take that. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and yeah, so my brother was actually at a junior college in Arizona at the time. Um, I had a tournament my senior year of high school down in Arizona. So my brother asked the pitching coach at his junior college, Hey, please take a look at my little brother. So as a favorite of my brother, pitching coach comes out, 
watches me throw. I'm throwing, you know, humming 84, 86. <laughs> um, and he says, hey, you know, we, we don't have any scholarships available. Um, so will you walk on? And I was like, okay, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Like, it's the only option, really. Um, and so I did it. And then, uh, again, uh, when, uh, when I was at Central Arizona, the junior college, mm-hmm. um, Cal State Northridge was there recruiting my brother. Um, and they saw me throw and they're like, you want to come to CSUN? And I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this again. So I followed my brother to CSUN, nice. um, ended up playing three years there. I was the closer all three years, sprinkled in a few starts. Um, junior year, I got drafted by the Tigers in the 32nd round, got offered like 40 grand, didn't take it. Um, went back for my senior year, played pretty well. Got drafted in the seventh round. Nice. Got nice. offered a whopping $10,000. Had to take it or not play anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the slot amount is like 180 grand or something. But as a mm-hmm. senior, you have, you know, zero leverage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got 10 grand, signed with the Mets, and, uh, and then got, uh, got the ball rolling on, on Pro Ball. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So obviously the minors is a difficult journey for a lot of people as detailed in the article. And as we'll touch on in a little bit, I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, like what's next? Have you thought about changing gears at all with your, your career? Or are you still pretty like locked in on, on making ball work? Um, I think that, most baseball players, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but most baseball players at some point when you get to at least pro baseball, um, that thought crosses your mind. Like at least least once a season, I would say, um, Hmm. where you're just like, Oh, life's gotta be easier doing something (laughs) else. Uh, but you know, then, then you realize like, well, what else would I be doing? Um, you know, going to coaching or get a regular job, which, you know, when you go from baseball, like playing a kid's game, like we don't mm-hmm. make a whole lot of money, but then, then you go and get a desk job. It's like, yeah. maybe that's not the, the way to go. You almost, you almost um, come to an understanding of what you don't want to do mm-hmm. rather than what you do want to do. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it crosses my mind every now and then. Um, but you know, the, the, overall feeling for most baseball players is that we're blessed to be able to get um, to, to yeah. be able to do what we get to do <clears throat> and get paid whatever, you know, we happen to get yeah. paid. Um, and it's just not something that everybody can do. It's not something we can even do for, for a very long time, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, well, you know, mo- most people, unless there's, uh, you know, family issues, financial issues, mm-hmm. we're going to play until, until we can't play anymore until yeah. somebody says, stop it you know yeah <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of the the mindset with me is that it is a roller coaster but um as long as you can can come back to center and and stay focused on on getting better and be appreciative of what you get to do um you know it uh it always it gives you perspective Yes. Yeah. Has sure. the injury has the injury and getting TJ affected that calculus for you at all, or is it kind of um, I would say the same? it probably given me a better outlook, um, 
being able to to take a step away from the game. And I'm actually interested to see this next year because I was forced to take a step away. Actually, everybody yeah. was forced to, you know, outside yeah. of the yeah. 15-man rosters. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see because baseball locker rooms are, are you know, it's not it's not serious, but it's it's some of the most negative atmosphere you'll ever be in. Um, you know, it's a, it's a game of failure. Um, yeah. and that, uh, that feeling of failure, uh, brings itself into the locker room and, you know, it's, it's, it's a 140 game season in the minor leagues. It's not a happy place in that locker room all yeah. the time. Um, and, and I think that's, that plays into us just, you know, we take it for granted, um, every now and then. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see when we all do get back uh what's what's the mindset what's the outlook yeah. for, for the guys that you know i wasn't going to play no matter what because of tommy right. john but right. for everyone else um who was forced out this season because of coronavirus are they going to have a, a newfound appreciation for what we get to do um or is it going to be you know a, a week of the newfound appreciation and then back to, back to <laughs> as usual life stuff. i hate it here yeah, I think, I mean, coronavirus has certainly been a challenge for everybody. But, I mean, the article really focused on, I think, the strains of yourself and other minor leaguers who, during a regular season, um, might have to take jobs during the off season. But especially now, um, you know, focusing on yourself, like, you know, you were working, the article talked about, you know, previously working at Lululemon during the off seasons, now looking for work, rehabbing. Um, all of this that really kind of puts a strain on what life is normally like as a minor leaguer. Um, you know, you talk about being committed to the game and, and going until someone tells you to stop. So like today's episode is all about grit. It's that combination of passion and perseverance. So how do you persevere? What, what keeps you going? Um, I mean, just probably, probably mostly I would say how I was brought up. Um, and, and, you know, that, uh, the idea that, you know, it's, it's just going to be your own hard work, your own, your own commitment that gets you there. Um, and, and your own internal motivation. Um, and I think that's what plays into, you know, doing whatever it takes to, to, to make something happen, uh, for myself, at least, um, especially right now where, I'm having to hold myself accountable, going to PT every day. Yeah. If I didn't go, you know, who, who's going to know, right? Um, but I'm going every day. I'm getting my workouts in. I'm looking for jobs, um, doing interviews for jobs and for, you know, stuff like this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think mostly it's, you know, stuff that's been instilled in me um, and, and sort of how I got to watch my brother um in high school especially he was uh he was him and michael conforto actually in the state of washington they were the top two ranking prospects um my brother got drafted by the yankees out of high school actually um didn't take it and then uh yeah he ended up hurting his back later down the line wasn't able to to kind of keep going and i do think that's another thing that that motivates me um Hmm. and and also gives me an appreciation for what i'm able to do um, because I've been afforded the physical ability to, to keep yeah. doing it. So, you know, why wouldn't I? Um, not, not everybody can, can say that, obviously. You know, my brother is a prime example. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely another thing that, that keeps, going, keeps me going. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things that, that I've sort of acquired over the years and, and all of us do really, um, that keep us going. And especially in times when it's not easy to, you know, um, yeah. but I will, I will say that it's probably easier to keep going mentally right now when I know, you know, I don't have to perform right now. You mm, know? Yeah. It's a, it's a mental roller coaster. Um, yeah in season um and I, I tell my family and my girlfriend all the time you know i'm probably more consistently happy when i'm not playing baseball. <laughs> um but when i am playing baseball and it's going well i wish it wasn't this way but it is you know uh and it's going well that's that's life to me you know yeah. you're, you're really yeah. living there um and i don't think a lot of people get to experience that um as frequently as as athletes do hmm. what it, what is it about that experience like that high of performing that kind of keeps you going that contributes to what we're talking about um it's like uh it's it's hard to explain but it's it's it definitely it keeps you going because you just you just want more of it you know you want more yeah. of it. um especially and i think i really got to experience it in college mostly hmm. Um, as a closer, you know, I'm, I'm throwing two times a weekend and hopefully yeah. you save. And, and the second you get that save, you're, it's, it's just like an indescribable feeling of, of joy. Um, and, you know, you and your best friends just beat <laughs> another group of men who are also best friends. Um, yeah. There's something about that where you're like, yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, the... the the culmination of, of all your hard work as a group um, coming together and, and, and what you prepared for is to beat the, the opponent. Um, and so, yeah, just, it just feels good. Um, but another thing I say all the time is, is pitching itself is, is kind of fun, but it's the, it's the moment immediately when you're done and you've done yeah. well, yeah. do you want to keep doing it? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. If there wasn't that feeling, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people would still be playing sports. Yeah. Um, but it's that feeling when you're done, yeah, and done well, and and you were successful, um, that keeps you coming back for more. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a that's a great point. I mean, I can I as again as a shitty of a pitcher as I was, I can relate to that Reckon, feeling as soon as you come out the game. Pitcher basically a rec league pitcher, but as soon as you come out, right, it's like you get on the bench. I would don't tell my wife. Throw a dip. And just like you just something, some kind of calmness comes over your body, I guess. And it's that feeling of like, all right, sweet. That's great. And now I'm done. The, the high is over. I can just kind of chill now. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's, it's a weird feeling. I like it. Um, sometimes I have to like bring myself back to, to normal. Cause you know, nobody ever likes that guy that gets done pitching and they were, <laughs> they were good and, and successful. You know, they did their job, especially now in pro baseball. Like that's your job, dude, your job. Um, and then, you know, they, they're all of a sudden like way too happy and way too talking hmm. and stuff like that. And that is a side effect uh, of this. And then, and then, you know, if they perform poorly, um, you know, they uh, like shut down and they're angry. Um, yeah. so my, my goal always is to, to, however I'm feeling on the inside for people to not be able to tell that, um, hmm. you know, from, from my demeanor, you shouldn't be able to tell how I did in the game, mm-hmm. um, in my, in my opinion, um, and, and I, I think teammates mostly are the ones that appreciate that because 
you know, you don't really enjoy being around yeah. a guy that, uh, that is too up and down yeah. um, after their outings. But uh, yeah, anyways, the, the feeling of it is, uh, is uh, exhilarating nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you made some really awesome points and you, you sort of started to hit on this and you also mentioned coaching before. So I want to switch gears just slightly um, and ask if you had, could provide any advice for aspiring pro baseball players or guys who are maybe just gotten drafted or about to get drafted that are going to be going into the minor leagues. Like, what would you tell them? Um, I mean, I would just say sort of what I needed to be told and continue to need to be told. You know, mostly it's my dad that, that tells me this is that, you know, you belong there, you're there for a reason. Um, and, and even, even if, you know, you're watching the big leagues or whatever, um, or, or you're a college kid watching minor league baseball or high school watching college and all the way down the line, um, having that understanding that you're not far off, um, mm. or you may even already be there talent wise. It's just, you gotta, you gotta wait your turn. Um, but just understanding that, you know, you're maybe one or 2% away from, from being like them, um, or, or two or 3% away from dominating them. And then, okay, what's the next challenge? Um, I would say that is the, the number one thing above, you know, any, any technical mm. work that you can do, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, secret sauce for it, but, um, I would say mentally that, that is, a uh, something that uh, everybody should probably work on because I think especially at the higher levels, you know, you think, you know, I don't even, I don't even know how I got here. I, like, I, don't, I don't expect to get there. It's like, no, you need to, you need to understand that you're here for a reason and, and you can get there so long as you keep working and keep getting better, but yep. you're not far off. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's just what I would tell pretty much anybody and, you know, in any line of work really, I think is, is, uh, knowing that, you know, if you put in the work, you can get there. Um, yeah. granted, you know, the big leagues is kind of a different, uh, different beast. You can, sure. you can be the hardest worker in the world. You may not get there though. <laughs> nature. Um, so, but yeah, no, by, by and large, I would say just, just understand that you, you belong, um, wherever you're at is where, is where you're meant to be. And, and, um, don't think that that people levels above you are are absurdly better than you um they've just had more time to get better um and you will too and and if you put in the work in the right direction and and with the right intent then there's no reason you know you shouldn't get there yeah no that's great advice that really is um and i think it rings true as as psychologists as well as just you know you put the work in and, um, you know, sometimes you may not be able to get there, even if you do, but um, there's nothing, I think you've put this, you've put this well earlier, which is like, you're there for a reason and you have this opportunity. And I think you speak well to that saying, you know, I have my health and I'm, you know, I have this opportunity and we should go for it. Um, I empathize. So you mentioned in the, in the article and I empathize with you, um, you're no longer working at, at Lululemon and um, my family comes from, I, I, my, my parents had a retail clothing store and um, during Christmas break, I'd have to go home. As soon as I was done with finals at UC Irvine, I'd drive uh, the six and a half hours back home and start working for another three weeks. And I totally empathize with the Trevor Bauer encounter where people would come in and they were flustered and they were like, I just need to get something. And it's last minute. Um, but I, my parents have since retired. So I'm, I, 
I empathize with business. Not, yeah. yeah, I empathize with not working retail anymore. But um, you know, a lot, the focus of the article is really on work, and I think for a lot of people who are struggling to find work during COVID, have you been able to to find some work yourself? Um, I'm I'm sure trying. I think I probably like I scroll on Indeed for like an hour every night, just hoping that you yeah. know something pops up. You know, I have the notifications turned on for for keywords like baseball or coaching or whatever. Um, Cause that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to, you know, use my, my knowledge that I've acquired. And I don't think selling pants is, is probably the best use of that. Um, so yeah, I've been, you know, I've been applying for, for stuff that I don't really want to do, but um, I, I mean, it's, work is something I don't dislike, you know, I, I enjoy working. I don't think work has to be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um so long as the people that i'm working with are enjoyable to be around so i like working at lululemon because all my coworkers uh mostly are really cool laid-back people right um it's just the people that would come in sometimes yeah are like and they're like not not trevor bauer but like <laughs> the tourists that would come in that, and especially in hollywood um these people would come in and they like you're you turn into this personal shopper god and I'm sitting like I'm, you know, getting yelled at from somebody that's in a in a changing room. Uh, go grab me this. Go grab me that. The whole time I'm thinking like, I'm like three levels away from the major leagues, and I'm doing this right now. <laughs> yeah. and, if only those people knew. Yeah, like, who were in the changing rooms. Ago, it was a fireworks <laughs> night, you know, in South Carolina, and we had ten thousand fans there none of whom know my name, but you know, you feel important <laughs> in those moments. And then two <laughs> months later, you know, you're, you're getting yelled at to do this and that from somebody that doesn't even know you and really isn't even paying you anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not getting commission. Um, so you, it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a, not a, not a fun feeling. Um, yeah. but it's something that a lot of us are, are more than willing to go through. Um, in order to make ends meet and 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 allow us the time to keep climbing up the ranks yeah, um, yeah. so yeah i don't i don't dislike work by any means i enjoyed working at lululemon uh, yeah. people that work there um and so yeah i've been applying to jobs i actually have an interview on tuesday um nice. for an organization that uh they do a couple things but um they they work to help um recovering drug and alcohol addicts um and they sort of want to want to surround them with positive people and and you know people that are good examples um cool and then another thing they do is uh, hire youth mentors so that's the one i was more interested in because um i you know i have been a kid so i do know <laughs> i haven't been addicted to anything so i can't relate to that and i really don't know yeah if I am the best person to handle that, um, I'll do my best. If they want to hire me for that, I got no problem <laughs> trying. I might need a little coaching in it, but, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I've been, uh, I've been searching. I had a coaching job lined up. Um, right. And that, yeah, then the, yeah. got turned into a volunteer spot. So, yeah. that sucks. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, if I make big bucks, I can, I can volunteer <laughs> my time to, to coach baseball, but until then yeah. I can't really afford to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of patience and I think it, it's pretty humbling to, like you said, be basically, I mean, a, a professional baseball player, whether people know you or not, is, is being paid to play the game. 
and then a yeah. few weeks later going back and you know running clothes for comedians <laughs> or whomever might be in the in the changing room so i think it yeah. says a lot about your character number one to be you know to have to do this and to but to be okay with it and to say that work is work and you're happy to be working um i there was some confusion i think in the article that there was a little bit of a mix-up um that i think led to some confusion on twitter but you said that um you had ran into trevor bauer at the um la location but it was actually carlsbad and it might have led to some other like mix-ups um is there anything you want to clear up about that article um yeah so just just uh anthony oliveri was the uh the writer for it uh for the article um he called me up we did an hour-long interview a small fraction of it was about who i've met you know my in my years at lululemon um and so yeah that, you know i had told him at the locations that i worked at um who i met how it went stuff like that um but that's not really what the article itself was about but um anyways the decision was made to to use the trevor bauer part um and then and then another decision was made to to make the writing in first person um so there were just so many moving parts that i i understand how it's easy to to get things mixed up to be misleading um and so and i do think that the article um, I thought, you know, it, it did show Bauer in a semi-negative light, even though, even though that was the conversation that took place. Um, the, the information that I was given about him shopping for his brother, that came from a third party, you know, a coworker that, that, uh, made the introduction. Um, and then the location that it took place in, I think he, you know, he just opted to say, you know, I worked in Hollywood for two mm. years rather than say, I worked in Carlsbad for one year and then Hollywood another year, you know, just for the writing purposes, it doesn't look that good. But um, yeah, that's, that's the truth of it is that it was uh, Christmas Eve in, in Carlsbad. Uh, he, he came in, a coworker greeted him, um, found out he was a baseball player and then introduced us. And I was like, cool, I play baseball too. He said, cool. What do you got in store? And I said, not a whole lot. It's Christmas Eve. What do you want? <laughs> And, uh, and that was about it. And, and then, and then, uh, you know, I did check him out at the cash register. He did give me his information for the 25% discount that athletes get. Um, so like, I know it was him. It's just <laughs> in the story, there's these two, these two, yeah. you know, uh, uh, inaccuracies that, that, you know, yeah. people think debunk the yeah. whole thing. It's like, what, what is there to debunk? There were inaccuracies. Oops. Mistakes happen. Uh, but yeah, like we met, what, what else do you want to know? You know, that's yeah, not what yeah. the story is about. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so that, it was frustrating to, to sort of have to deal with that, knowing that it's, it's going to take the integrity away from the story itself that had nothing to do with, with Trevor Bauer. Um, so, I would, yeah, I would just say that uh, the, the most frustrating part of it all was not really, you know, I don't care about how, you know, people believe me, I'm like, bummer you know I, I know i know i'm gonna tell the truth i have nothing to gain from it trevor right. bauer has nothing to gain from lying i don't think um so it was just like a bunch of moving parts a bunch of miscommunication yeah. um so yeah it was just really stupid and you know i got 600 followers and he has 300,000. so <laughs> i was i was kind of wearing it a little bit on my yeah. uh yeah. and i like it's stuff that i just don't like i don't care about i can't bring myself yeah. to care about um, anything that isn't 
real human interaction or, or yeah. even, you know, people that I care about that are in my circle. And, and you know, if you're outside of that, you know, I'm going to be absurdly nice to you probably um, given that you're, you know, just nice to me back. Uh, and, and that's all I ask, but that, that's the stuff that I care about is, is, you know, the real world. Um, yeah. anything, any, any online interview, um, that's at least typed out, uh, or Twitter, you know, it's hard to convey the truth, convey what you really mean. Um, and things can get mixed up. So yeah, I like, I really don't care about it. I really hope Trevor Bauer doesn't care about it because he's got a lot more stuff to worry about than I do. <laughs> Um, so if I don't care about it, you definitely shouldn't care about it. Yeah, for sure. um, so yeah, it was, you know, apologies yeah. to Trevor, I guess, for the article that I didn't write, but <laughs> um, you know, what are you going to do? I don't, you know, I, I didn't lose any sleep over it. I think I got 10 yeah. hours. Last night, so good. Damn. That sounds like we, we both have toddlers. So that sounds really nice. <laughs> right <about> <laughs> um, so to switch gears and to a sort of a fun Last question. We've been talking a lot, Brett and I, about baseball's unwritten rules. I'm sure you have thoughts on this. It's been a lot kind of going on in the, you know, blogosphere about this. So <clears throat> if you have a seven run lead, Fernando, <clears throat> Fernando Tatis Jr. comes up, it's three and oh, bases are loaded, and he takes you deep for a grand slam. Question is, would you hit him in the face next time he comes to bat? I, well, <laughs> I would ever hit anybody in the face for any reason. But, uh, obvious, obviously. That's actually against the unwritten rules itself, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but no, absolutely not. You know, it's my job to 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 get ahead in the count, uh, regardless of the score, regardless who's hitting, regardless how many people are on base. Um, and I think three zero swinging is is becoming more and more popular. Yeah. Um, yep. As as the years go by. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're going to throw a cookie 3-0 in today's game, yeah. I don't care what the score is, they're, like, there's a good yeah. chance they're going to hit it. And yeah. you did it to the hottest hitter in baseball. Right. You know, you, you earned it, man. You yeah. earned yeah. that, that yeah. ERA buster. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, like, I, I would be super, super angry with myself. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, I would, like, for, like, half a second, I would be mad at him to be like, dude. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't. Do that. And then, like, you you bring it back, and you're like, yeah. I also suck. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the mindset I would have, at least. Yeah. I don't know why, especially they they didn't even throw at him; they threw at Machado after. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what did he yeah. do? Um, I've always said, you know, if you're going to retaliate, do it to the guy that did it, not to. I agree. The teammate. Some teammate. Yeah. Um, but there should be nothing to retaliate for um, in that in that given circumstance. It was just really stupid. I think a lot of frustration. Uh, on the, it was against the Rangers, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I think it was just frustration on on their end, um, which you know should not come out in in violence. Um, and yeah, you know, just don't get behind three zero to to one of the best hitters in baseball right now with the bases right. loaded. Right. Uh, no matter the score you just you right. know the stars align for you in the worst way possible right there <laughs> and you can't be mad about it yeah yeah uh, great answer yeah you, you've got strong character i think you've been resolute and you've stayed positive and i think um whether your future includes professional baseball or not i think you'll do quite well for yourself so thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you for having me guys